if you would uh, close your eyes for a minute. All right, just close them tight. Close them as tight as you can. And think about perfect submission. All is at rest. Now open your eyes for a second. If you were blind permanently all the days of your life, would you be able to write perfect submission? All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Fanny J. Crosby wrote those words we sang, and she was blind her whole life. She used the term submission twice in this song, Blessed Assurance. Peter uses the word submission in four different instances in his epistle, the epistle of 1 Peter. I had intended to go on to other texts in this third day living series until I spent some time in 1 Peter again and began to see how important looking above is to this apostle as he talks not only to the church at large, but now in the passage today to wives and husbands. And so here we are in 1 Peter again, looking at third day living, asking ourselves the question, how do we live out the resurrection on a daily basis in our lives? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are, here, you are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 
Twice before, already in the letter, the Apostle Peter has addressed two groups, asking them to submit. He will address a fourth later on. Perfect submission. All is at rest. Often the key to rest in heart is submission. At some point, Fanny J. Crosby said, Lord, you are sovereign God. I trust in your sovereignty. And if I am to be blind the rest of my life, I will praise you the rest of my life. I am at rest. I don't know what restrictions you feel might be on your life. But this text is for you. If you struggle to submit to the circumstances, situations, and relationships of life, there is joy for you, there is peace for you, and there is a contentment beyond your imagination in trusting God, in having the blessed assurance, even in the circumstances and difficulties of life. I don't know what prompted Peter's comments, probably just observing married couples who all have problems, who all have difficulties, some of them very severe, of course. Probably not enormous and unusual things that the pastor Peter was addressing. Most likely more the normal, everyday, mundane activities of being married, of life together. That's how I interpret his comments about respect and gentleness, a quiet spirit. It's the ordinary things, the everyday things, that so often become barriers to a great marriage, a great friendship, great relationships. I was a young pastor when a couple came to see me. They had five children. They'd been married 30 years. She had a complaint. He showed me the reams of handwritten paper he had tried to explain himself in detail in his writing. She was not satisfied. One of the main sticking points is how he lost his gentlemanly ways with her. He said, she said, my husband was Johnny on the spot when we dated. He got every door for me. I'm not telling you you got every door for her, okay? That's not the lesson of the story. But he did. He ran ahead to get every door. For years now, though, he had not done so. He charged ahead and she trailed behind. One day they came to a store. She was trailing behind as usual. And her husband saw a lady he did not know coming to the store. So he took several quick steps forward and opened the door for her and followed in behind her, leaving his wife behind to manage the door herself. 
you say a small matter and I would say reams of paper could not explain why this husband had stopped being the gentleman he used to be. Married couples take each other for granted. These important relationships of life with children and parents and friends, you can take them for granted if you're not careful. Peter wants to connect our regular behavior, how we behave in the marriage, with the resurrection of Jesus and the powerful good news that it brings. He wants us to behave on a daily basis like we really believe Jesus is Lord. My mother used to say to me over and over again, David, let patience have her perfect work. She had detected this flaw in me. I'm still working on. Let patience have her perfect work because I was impatient as a boy and I still have that in me. And the thing that my mother was doing is connecting my current behavior and sometimes frantic behavior, certainly impatient behavior, to the sovereignty of God and his providence because the, the promise from James chapter 4, uh, 1, 4 is let patience have her perfect work so you can get the crown of life one day. You're supposed to be looking above, okay? Expecting what is to come, preparing for your grand future. And this frantic behavior where you sacrifice and bruise relationships isn't helpful to that. I want to talk to you a little bit about resurrection living in the most intimate relationships of life. And the first thing I want to say is your conduct is important. When others by conduct. It's a surprising word, actually. Peter is talking to wives who had unbelieving husbands, and they were in the church, and they wanted to know what to do and how they could convey the gospel to them. And Peter says that these husbands may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Who would have thought behavior was so big in believing that Jesus rose from the dead? Yet when you think about it, the eyewitnesses like Peter and James and John, their behavior was transformed by the resurrection. Prior to the resurrection, they were fearful, they were hiding out, they'd run away from the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus. They were fearful that the authorities might come to get them. You remember how it was after the crucifixion. And now we've got these bold people in the marketplace, in the temple, and they're preaching boldly the resurrection of Jesus. The authorities might be looking for them, and yet they seem to be fearless in their proclamation. Had the disciples, after the resurrection of Jesus, been sullen, uncertain, and uncommitted, we would not have reacted the same way to their testimony that Jesus is risen from the dead. But because these eyewitnesses' behavior was transformed, they looked at him, they realized, these are the guys. They ran away from the trial. These are these, these, these Galileans. 
unschooled, uneducated look at them. Look at the boldness with which they are presenting the word. And so they took note of them, that they'd been with Jesus, took note of their boldness, and it influenced them in regard to what they were saying. That is, Jesus has risen from the dead, and we've seen him alive. Now, maybe that only pertains to the first generation. Only the eyewitnesses had to have a behavior change. And for the rest of us, it's just the intellectual argumentation of it. If I could just convince you intellectually that Jesus rose from the dead, you'll become a Christian and we'll all go to church happily together. But the Bible connects the testimony that I bear and my conduct even in the second, third, and subsequent generations of believers. It is incumbent on the second generation of believers to act out in practical ways that Jesus is Lord and he has risen from the dead. And it is important for every generation to do it, including yours. The fact is, if you confess to your parents or your spouse that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that a dead man came out of the grave, if you actually confess that, they are not going to immediately say, oh, well, I'll believe it too. Far more likely that having made the confession, your loved one, your dear friend, is going to watch you and see if your conduct conforms to your confession. In other words, do you really believe what you just told me? I will find out by the way that you live. Behavior, in fact, confirms our confession that Jesus is Lord. It did with the first generation, and it does with other generations as well. If you say to me, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, and he is Lord, I've received him as Savior and I watch you and discover that your values and priorities have changed, that you are indeed a different person, and the things that mattered so much to you before, they don't matter to you anymore. You've got a different inner peace. If I watch you and see that, I start thinking, well, maybe this confession is true. In fact, I can be convinced without any word by the behavior of the one that I love. And this is what Peter is calling for, for these wives who so want their husbands to trust Jesus as Savior. But it works in every intimate relationship of life. As parents, we want to say to our kids, don't do what I do, do what I say. If we're puffing away in the cigarette or we're drinking too much, We want to say, don't do what I do now, do what I say. We know it is vacuous, it is empty, it is ridiculous, in fact, for us to assume that our our behavior can be overridden by this simple instruction. Your children are going to do what you do, my friend, no matter how you insist otherwise. The patterns are going to be so deeply embedded them watching you. They believe that what you do is the truth that you live by. 
not what you say. And if your behavior belies your confession, they will believe your behavior before they believe the confession. Just mark it down. It is true. We cannot just say the words and behave any way we want to. Peter couldn't do it. John couldn't do it. In the end, they laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel. They died under threat. They surrendered their lives and would not refute that Jesus was risen from the dead. This power, not only in the confession, but in the conviction that changed their behavior, this is the power that shook the ancient world. And it will shake your world too. So, we are called then to a behavior that illustrates and demonstrates that Jesus is Lord of my life and Lord of all. And we cannot fall short of it. You say, well, what kind of behavior is this? What are you talking about? Well, Peter mentions some things here that I think probably are key. Rather, what is this winsome behavior that will touch others and draw them to Christ? The evidence of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Emphasize inner beauty. Ray McDear says to Tammy, I love your crooked little mouth. Tammy responds, well, it's not my best feature. Holly Hunter was nominated for an Oscar, I think, for that one phrase. Well, it's not my best feature. Hey, what is your best feature? Is it your crooked little mouth? Is it that oval shape of your face? Is it those high cheekbones that you have? Is it that six-pack ab? Or those bulging biceps? Maybe you think your best feature is the 67 Mustang that you drive. Or the diplomas that hang on the wall. Or your reputation as an exceptional engineer, physician, lawyer, businessman. I challenge anything that you might point to as your best feature that involves outside trappings. It's not about what you look like on the outside. Your best feature is the inner you. It is more important than all the outside stuff. So Peter gets explicit here. And I don't think he's saying, ladies, don't adorn your hair. Don't, don't wear the nice clothes. He's not saying that. He's saying there's a priority here, and we think that these outside things are the priority, and they're not. The priority is the inner you for everybody in the room. They used to teach this. Moral development. 
what kind of person you are becoming. There ought to be a concern about what's inside of you as you, as you behave and speak in the world and go about in the world. And so Peter says, emphasize the inner you. That's what's important. He's talking about, and he says to the wives, a gentle and quiet spirit. Guys, you want to be gentlemen, right? I hope that you do. I hope you don't think that that rude, crude behavior that may get a laugh at a party works 24-7 with wife and kids. Is that the real you? You want to be a gentleman. You say, I don't, I'm not sure how to be a gentleman, what the protocol is. I think it's very simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. You need a shorthand rule inside your brain that will come forward when you have the opportunity to bless somebody. You see somebody in need, you see an opportunity to step up and demonstrate kindness and love, and you need something that triggers you in your mind so that you step forward. So you're not always going, man, I wish I had. And I suggest to you that what you can put in your heart, burn in your soul, is that I am to love my neighbor as I love myself so that when I have the unpredictable opportunity, the surprise event that comes my way, where I can demonstrate love to someone near me, I do so because that's how I operate. That's me in the world. When he talks about gentleness, he's talking about kindness. I wish we would practice fundamental Christianity in our marriages first. I wish we'd stop opening the doors for strangers when we don't do it for the people we say we love. I wish kindness and other-centeredness and caring and respect would happen in a marriage first before it happens outside in other places. We treat so often with more respect and honor and kindness people we don't even know. It ought not to be, brothers and sisters. Let's bring gentleness and kindness to the marriage first. Let's live right here. This gentleness is born out of love. And this quietness is a spirit that does not clamor for attention. It doesn't have to be the center of all things. It's a quietness that doesn't have to know the answer to every question. It comes out of a confidence in God who is sovereign Lord. I am trusting in him. It is perfect submission to the one who made me and loves me and sent his son to save me, and it quiets my soul. I am not frantic. I am not in continual disturbance on the inside. I have found a place where I am at rest. And it is a gift.
to everybody who loves me. You know, the, the scripture says that this gentleness and quietness are of great worth in the sight of God. This gentleness is connected to the humility that Pastor Peter says later on, everybody ought to put on this garment of humility where we care for others even above ourselves and lay down our lives as Christ laid down his. This is resurrection living. I am not frantic in the world because I know the one who made me and loves me has prepared for me a home in heaven, has set up the banquet table, and I will sit there one day, and I am confident in who I am as a child of the Father, as a chosen one. I am comfortable in my skin, knowing who I am, and I am comfortable with my future that my Lord has prepared for me. Now, Peter has... I think a wonderful word to us. He says, treat these wives with respect, this is verse 7, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Don't you like that? Don't you like that? The gracious gift of life? I say to the parents when I see the little ones, in fact, I told uh, Ross and uh, Betsy this when I saw little Abby three weeks old I said she is a gift from God to you she's a gift from God life itself is a gift from God and when you say I do you're saying we are going to be heirs together of the gracious gift of life we're going to walk this road together we're going to be hand in hand and arm in arm down life's path and we're going to receive this gracious gift of life together we're going to maximize our marriage we're going to make the best it can be we're going to pour our resources and energy and attention into it so that we really love one another because this is how we're using the gift of life Sometimes we suppose, you know, I'm going to get around to that later. I got other things to do right now. But one of these days, I'm going to get around to living this life you talk about. And the truth of the matter is, you're living it out now. This is what you did with your life. What's going on now in you. And if your marriage is second rate and you put it on the shelf and you stop treating one another with kindness and respect, if you've ignored your friends or you have ignored the people that you should have loved, this is your life. And there's nothing you can invest in that has more value and worth in return than these relationships God has given to you. The gracious gift of life, we inherit it together. Gratitude ought to be in your heart. Not only that God created you, but that he's giving you your next breath, you know. It's not guaranteed. It's not as if God has to do that. There it comes, that breath you breathe. 
a gift from God to you. Every breath, with gratitude for all that God has given. Living in the world this way, living in my relationships with this gratitude, seeking to maximize them for the kingdom of God, the glory of God, and his purposes in me. Terry Werlein is here today. He was very sick. I thought he might die. So did his doctor. She said, I didn't know if I could help you. This week he got the news. He is in remission. Have you heard this? <laughs> Terry, we're so grateful. All of us have been praying for you and Judy, and we're so grateful to be able to celebrate that. And Terry and I were talking about his illness and this journey, which continues because he's suffering pain still to this day, even though he is in remission and the disease is gone. They cannot find the disease. It's multiple myeloma. And we were celebrating that and talking about his condition, and he said, you know, they gave me 10 or 15 years is what they said I'd live. He said, you know, it's going to pass like that. He said, a blink of an eye, and it'll be gone. And it's true. You realize that all the outside stuff fades, right? For a while, you can take care of yourself and take away the wrinkles and make yourself pretty and push back the years. But eventually, gravity wins. <laughs> right? And you look in the mirror one day and you say to yourself, I don't look like I did when I was 20. And it's just true. You don't. Peter says here, in contrast to that, there is this unfading beauty inside of you. A beauty that doesn't stop in this life, but goes on to the next. It's a beauty that's not susceptible to the force of gravity. And God intends to preserve the beauty that's going on inside of you in the resurrection in the next life so that when I see you in heaven, those qualities of character that you develop through the Holy Spirit in your life are evident in that spiritual body you've got. See, I think God permanently brings those into eternity, these things that he's doing in us. We call this the process of sanctification. And it is mighty important. It is the unfading beauty of who you are. Pastor Peter would say, make it a point to work on the inner you because that is what lasts forever. Bow with me, please. Maybe... You've not trusted Jesus as Savior. Maybe you've had somebody who confessed Christ as Lord, but you haven't, and you've watched their life, and you're convinced they really believe it, that it's true in their life. 
I would challenge you today to take that step of faith. There's some faith in you that the Holy Spirit has planted to just say, you know, I don't know all the answers, but I want today to confess Jesus as Savior. And I know that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. I confess that too. Maybe what you need is a new commitment to cultivate the inner you, to take your eyes off the stuff that's transitory and external and to focus on the things that really matter. God, we pray today, by your Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Help our best feature to be that inner spirit that is conformed to the image of your Son. God, we submit to you, your will, your purpose, your authority, even your voice in this moment of decision. In Jesus' name.